let's not delay. Let's go back into the introduction. So it's all you, Glenn. <laughs> all right. Hi, everyone. Uh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you're at around the world. Uh, hi, my name is Glenn Meyer. I'm, I'm from Singapore, but I've been living in New York City for the last 10 years. So that's where my accent is coming from. Some people mistake me for Joseph Prince. Uh, that's like we sound alike. But anyway, yeah. Um, so my just a quick background about me. Um, I have a master's in Christian apologetics from Biola University. I graduated in 2019 well as a master's from New York University in uh, integrated marketing and analytics. Um, in terms of what I do, I actually go to the Broken Tabernacle Church in New York City um, and I serve as the one of the directors for the Young Adult Ministry Movement. So shout out to Movement. Um, I, I'm also pretty uh, involved with the RCIM Online Academy, training uh, Christians from all over the world to better evangelize and be better apologists for the gospel. So I've been doing that for four years now. I've met Tank at the Emerging Apologist program about two years ago. That's the first and last time I've seen him. I've seen him online more, more times than I've seen him in person. Uh, but he's a great guy. And I think, you know, um, yeah, I think this topic is uh, definitely timely way overdue. Uh, and I'll let Tank explain how he got into this discussion. No, yeah, for sure. And then uh, just for, for people that are watching from Glenn's platform, um, I am, my name is Leonard Tanks Jr. Uh, I'm a pastor in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, you know where I met Glenn at, obviously, um, through, uh, through the RZIM Emerging Politics Program. Um, so uh, for me, I have a, a bachelor's in religion with a minor in biblical studies. Uh, I have a master's in Christian apologetics um, from a school. I don't want to say right now, but but from Liberty, <laughs> but from Liberty University, um, and I'm currently working on my PhD at Liberty uh, University in biblical exposition, um, and so uh, I just have a love for apologetics, um, a love for helping people wrestle through the tough things of the faith, uh, the, the tough topics of the faith, um, and so that brings us to <laughs> here's a tough one, right? Um, the whole concept of slavery in the Bible. Um, obviously, the times that we're in right now, um, it's 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 a difficult season in our culture. Um, and when when these type of situations happen in our culture, what, what begins to try to emerge out of those things are some of uh, some some people who now begin to want to find difficult passages in the Bible and use them as uh, reasons why minority people should not follow Christianity. And so I'm on Facebook and somebody put up a meme about it. Somebody else been putting like eight of them up today, but somebody put a meme up. Um, and it was a picture of a black man on it, uh, being whipped by a white slave owner. And underneath it, um, it had the Exodus 21, 20 and 21, where if a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, uh, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged for the slave is his money. And the person who posted it went on to say, this is why that he doesn't serve the Christian God and why nobody should want to serve the Christian God. And then you had all of these posts underneath it uh, from people saying, yeah, that's right, that's crazy. Um, and so I immediately responded obviously to the post. And then I made a whole thing on my Facebook page page which led to kind of this this moment where uh glenn hit me and was like yo you want to do a talk about this um as he had, has done some a lot of research and papers on this subject as well and so i'm like yeah let's do it and so um we began to to, to plan um to do this talk and so that's why we're we're here having this talk does the bible endorse slavery uh, we're, we're, we're attempting to 
um, respond to those individuals who um, are looking to use difficult passage and misunderstandings mm. of context and culture to create barriers from for, for minority and black and brown people to come um, to the only message that is relevant um, for our soul and our eternity, and that's Christianity and the gospel. So, and we're here doing what apologists do, right? Defending the faith. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll definitely add to that besides the memes, you know, um, one of my, so just to give you a bit of a background, the reason why I, I actually did a research paper comparing chattel slavery with biblical slavery um, when I was in school, and part of the reason for that is um, I go to a predominantly black church, so I've definitely seen, you know, how people can walk away from the faith because of uh, misrepresenting certain passages like that, you know. So, I mean, like, you have, like, popular people like Sam Harris um, saying that the Bible endorses slavery. And I remember I came across an article in 2014, and I'm going to quote what they say. They said this, right? Slavery is, slavery is one of the biggest atrocities in human history, yet slavery is rampant throughout the biblical in, both the, in the Bible, in both the Old and New Testament. The Bible clearly speaks of slavery in many passages, and it goes so far as to tell you how to obtain slaves how you beat them and how you can have sex with female slaves. Young people are waking up to the fact that Christianity and the Bible was used as a tool to control their ancestors and that's not a narrative they want to be part of. And this is an Atlanta Black Star. Um, so I think especially among the, our generation in the time we live in, people can often see like, why do I want to become a Christian? Because this is an issue in terms of, you know, um, um, this how this is what is teaching to treat my people, you know. So I think that it can definitely be a big challenge for some people. Yep, that's right. That's right. I agree with you. So uh, let's get in. Let's get into this. Listen, you guys are more than welcome to put comments in as we're talking. We will leave at the end of this some time for some Q and A. Um, if you guys have something that you guys want to say um, or ask, but you can also put them in while we're talking. Um, if you're on my platforms, uh, I'll be able to see at least the one coming from the Reach page and my page. And then, Glenn, you would have to just see what's coming from your watch party. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Um, so, uh, Glenn, you want to go ahead and take us into this? Yeah, so let's do a quick story, right? Um, a lot of times when we understand specific words in, in the Bible, like words, in the, words come from the contextual meaning of the times that we live in. So, um, a lot of times when we question we have to ask ourselves is not does the bible talk about slavery we first have to define what slavery meant um, in the old testament as well in the, in the new testament so i think in, in this specific case um the definition of uh slavery in hebrew the, the hebrew word is actually ebed, E-B-E-D, and the hebrew word and, and, and the word for master it's also um people think it's like you know master versus slave but ebed literally means uh, in depth, in depth, uh, servant or servant, right? So somebody, some something like an in depth, indentured servant, and master is more like uh, an employer. So when you read the word master and slave in the Old Testament, it's literally not between a relation between master and slave. When you think of chattel slavery, it's literally uh, a relationship between employer and employee. Um, and maybe uh, Hank, you wanna give an example of how words matter and what they mean in its context. Yeah, no, for sure, absolutely. Um, and 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 what Glenn is, is is talking about, and the reason we talk about what the words mean, um, is just because um, a lot of either either some people intentionally are doing it, but most people that I, that we run into, they make the mistake of approaching difficult passages and making these ascertain um, 
acidine statements towards Christianity based upon um, them looking at what they're reading in the Bible through the lens of their understanding of words, meanings, and culture. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll tell you this, I tell my team this all the time. Anytime you look and read scripture through your lens of understanding of words and culture, um, you will always make a great, you will always become a victim of misrepresenting God's word and misrepresenting God. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Bible was not written in our culture in our time. And the authors were not writing thinking about um, the 21st century. They were writing to, an, to a specific audience who would understand mm-hmm. the things that they were saying. It is the job of the Bible reader um, to do his homework, to understand the culture, um, to understand the, the, the author, to understand the language. And, and oftentimes the problem when we read these slave passages in the Bible is because, especially for black and brown people, um, they're triggered. Those are trigger words. Slave is a trigger word, right? We see slave and we immediately think uh, chattel slavery. We immediately think um, a transatlantic slave trade. And, and so we see slavery and we read that in the Bible. We like, see, this is why the, 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 these white Christians um, held slaves because the book they read and that they forced on us told them they can do it. And the reality is um, that when we begin to study the culture, study the word, um, I, I love what um, one, one guy, one theologian said, um, he said that um, the Hebrew has no vocabulary of slavery. <laughs> Um, only a servanthood and, and people may say well that's not true because we see the word slave but um, as, as Glenn was bringing out what we have to understand it's no different than today if I say yo I, I notice like my dude is on here right now so if I say yo JT is my dog um, if you have no context or, or cultural understanding you may think that I'm talking about my animal that I've named JT Um, However, um, if you have some cultural understanding, what you realize is that, wait a minute, it's not, he's not necessarily talking about an animal when he says dog, because culturally, man, that word has kind of evolved to mean, yo, a close friend or a person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the only way to know what a word actually means is, is to understand the context and the culture and behind the word uh, that is being used. Um, and so as Glenn, Glenn has brought out that word, Ebed, Ebed, E-B-E-D, um, it, 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 we translated slave, but most scholars would agree, like, we need to stop translating that slave because yeah. it's, just not, it's just not an accurate translation. Yeah. It kind of misrepresents um, who, who God is. Um, yep. But when we look at that word, according to the theological lexicon, the, the, the so, uh, it's a social, in the social, it has all these different aspects, but in the social sphere, which is what we're talking about, um, it, it is speaking of a servant in the Old Testament, um, but it's not necessarily speaking to the English word um, slave that, that involves this negative pre, uh, 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 preconception. And instead, what it, what it means is it, it actually is not lowering people to having this low and undignified person, but instead, um, it is actually giving them um, more freedom than their culture would give them. And it actually mm. holding them to a higher standard of humanity than the culture in which um, they come from would actually hold them. And so when we see the word slave, when we see the word master, yeah. we see these, these buzzwords like sell and sold, we have to understand that those words do not mean what they mean to us when we think of master, slave, and selling. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think that's a very good point. I mean, like if you call your 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 friend JT Miller dog, if someone 500 years from now read a biography of of Hank, right? Um, and he's like, yo, I had I had like JT Miller was my dog. If they did not know better, they would think that he really had a dog. And, and here you see in Tank's biography, he's calling everyone dog, right? And people will think that Tank has like 20 dogs. But in reality, if you understand the context of what he's saying by dog, he's being a close friend. He's not talking about the animal dog. So I think that's very, very important. And I mean, just going back to what um, Tank said about um, the, the, the Hebrew word, right? Um, the Hebrew word for master is Adon, A-D-O-N. And the Hebrew word for slave is Ebed, E-B-E-D. Like, like Tank said, um, in Semitic languages, we don't always have the right English word to fix, to, to, to attach to these uh, Semitic languages. I'm, all, I'm definitely all for changing that English word if we can find a better term. But we must also understand uh, like what um, Tank said. Um, to be called an Ebed in the context of Israel was actually an honorable term. So I'm going to quote uh, John Golden Gay. He's an Old Testament scholar. He says, there is nothing inherently low or undignified about being called an abet. Being the abet of someone important carries dignity with it. So I think, you know, uh, it's very important to understand how these terms were, were perceived to be in society. To us, we may, uh, it's, we shouldn't, um, scripture was written, uh, not, it wasn't written for us, but it's written to, uh, it, it wasn't written to us, but it's written for us. Right, so this these passages were written to a specific group of people at a specific time in history. Uh, definitely, we can apply it to our times today. But we need to understand how these terms meant according to these people, and also when you uh, how you say um, contrast how um, how these terms were used in comparison to the other cultures around them, you start to see a big difference, and we'll go into that later. But one, one thing I want to add, um, just to show you how that the word the bad isn't necessarily or isn't what we're saying it is. If you read Isaiah 41, 9, uh, Abraham, you all know who Abraham is, the patriarch of Judaism, he was referred to as God's Ebed, right? Wait a minute, God is calling Abraham a, a slave in the sense we think of it in America. No, God, Abraham was called God's Ebed. But at the same time, God also referred to Abraham as his friend in James chapter 2, verse 23. So this is one of an indication that the concept of slavery found in the Bible is different from the present understanding of the term, right? So I think a careful understanding or, or careful interpretation will show you its uh, relationship between employer and employee. And I think that's where we need to uh, take the conversation and help people understand the difference. No, absolutely. Um, and I think, so um, Paul Copen, um, if I just read this insert, and then let, let's kind of begin to help people understand when we talk about kind of employee <laughs> uh, boss type thing, and they may be like, whatever. Um, so we're gonna talk about some difficult passages too, guys. But so um, Paul Copen reads this, likewise, an Israelite strapped for shekels might become an indentured servant to pay off his debt to a boss or an employer at dawn. Calling him a master is often way too strong a term just as the term Ebed, servant, employee, typically shouldn't be translated slave, right? Even when the term buy, sell, or acquire are used of servants and employees, they don't mean the person in question is just property. Think of a sports player today who gets traded to another team to which he belongs. Yes, teams have owners, but we're hardly talking about slavery here. Rather, these are formal contractual agreements, which we, which, which is what we find in the Old Testament servanthood employee agreement. 
One example of the contracted employee-employee relationship was Jacob working for Laban for seven years so that he might marry his daughter Rachel. In Israel, becoming a voluntary servant was commonly a starvation prevention measure. A person had no collateral other than himself, which meant either service or death. While most people worked in the family business, servants would contribute contribute to it as a domestic worker. Contrary to the critics, this servanthood wasn't much different experientially from paid employment in a cash economy like ours. No debt uh, tended to come to families. Uh, uh, now, debt tended to come to families, not just individuals. Whether because of failed crops or serious indebtedness, a father could voluntarily enter into a contractual agreement, sell himself to work in the household of another. And um, it, uh, so when we read that, uh, what we just see here is that we, we clearly see a different idea from um, kind of the transatlantic slave trade um, and, and how we think of the word word slave. And, and, and so one of the um, examples that we see, because we, we talk about selling and being sold. And again, like I told you before, those become trigger words um, for many of us, right? Don't sell me nothing, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what we have to understand is, is what the Bible actually says when it talks about this word um, to sell, which is makar. Right and oh, yeah. and 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 essentially, um, what 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 we see um, is that God placed laws on things that can be sold. For example, um, in Leviticus twenty-five, he said that the land could be sold. Um, however, um, the land still was here, right? And then we also know that, but even within that. Um, anytime a person sells property, that that's because that their kinsman redeemer could come and redeem back what was sold. And the reason I'm bringing that out is because this whole selling soul process never really had anything to do with actually um, people buying and selling individuals, um, as we've seen kind of in the transatlantic slave trade. In fact, the Bible actually prohibits selling people. Um, and Exodus 21, 16, mm. love, they go to Exodus 21 and, you know, they don't, they stop at like, start at like 20, but they don't like start in front of it. But in <laughs> Exodus 21, 16, God clearly says, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death in Deuteronomy 24, 7. If a man is found stealing one of his brothers or the of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then the thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from amongst your men. I'm gonna give you a couple more. Joel 3 3. And you have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for prostitution, and you have sold the girl for wine, and you have drunk it, drunk it. And he says, and he talks about this is why the uh the judgment is coming amongst um the people of Israel. He also says, and I, this would be the last one, Amos 6, 2. I mean, Amos 2, 6, he says, thus says the Lord, for the trans, for the transgress, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. And so we see, like, when we hear that word sell and being sold, it is nothing like what we connected to, to antebellum slavery or the transatlantic mm. slavery or chattel slavery. God has is angry when people are selling human beings for possession or for property or to, you know, to get up in, in the world. And so, and so instead, 
uh, well, I have something else to say, but Glenn, I don't want to monopolize. So I, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I think that is good, right? I think um, just to give you guys a bit more context, the question is like, why did it, why, why is this system in Israel? Like, like, why do we have this system of selling and buying and all that kind of stuff? Um, it's very nice today. We live in nice buildings, but uh, we live in a very uh, modern society. But if you understand the culture of Israel, they live in a, they live in an agrarian culture, meaning it's all about farming. That's how they make their living: farming, fishing, and all that kind of stuff. When you look at the disciples of Jesus, it's always about land, farming, the wheat, the barley, and all that kind of stuff. Now, um, God is forming. Israel as a nation for himself and we believe that God cares for all people and he wants to provide for all people and Israel was supposed to be a light onto the world right so essentially what you see is that um, it's interesting right I'm going to quote Deuteronomy 15 chapter verse 4 he says God says there will be no poor among you for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord you give is giving to you for an inheritance to possess so God in Deuteronomy 15 verse 4 he's like there is no poor among you Right? But then if you skip down a few verses, verse 11, he says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So God's plan is for people not to be poor, but in reality, there's going to be poor people in the land. So God has, uh, the God of the Bible, he has a, arranged a system in a sense of sort, of sort of like a social safety net to uh, you know, protect people from getting poor. So essentially, uh, like what Tank was saying, when it comes to slavery, where people are selling themselves out in the market, we first need to understand the difference between antebellum slavery and biblical slavery. Antebellum slavery, you were forced into that position. Biblical slavery, that was the last choice where you don't have any money, you need to provide for your family. Then you volunteer yourself become a slave or a worker so that an employer can buy you and look after you and also one thing to consider is that um, these terms are only for a period of seven years so at the end of the seven year your master has to restore you to yourself like he has to make sure he provides you with an animal provides you with land provides you enough money so that you can look after yourself or your family so i think you know it's very important to understand the, the difference the context between these two forms right um and I just want to—I just wanted to add, um, you know, um, the whole purpose of the biblical slavery model. Uh, it leads to, um, or I'll call it debt servitude. It leads to—I uh, call this um, rock ROC restoration opportunity and community, right? Restoration opportunity and community. The whole purpose is so that. Um, people living in the land of Israel will be taken care of and just like how Jesus said you need to look after your brother that is how it was being displayed in the laws uh, within Israel no that's good oh oh you paused no that's yeah. good man um, definitely appreciate that um, and just to you know continue to give you guys just so y'all know we're not shooting stuff off our hips here um, you know yeah. Glenn, Glenn he when he talked about the seventh year termination of slavery, I mean, of the uh, seventh year termination of the debt, right? Um, there was, there was, there was, there was never meant to be permanence, right? Because as Glenn said, God, um, God's intention was that there will be no poor. God made tons of laws. You understand? Matter of fact, let's just, let's just, let's just look at that real quick, right? Yeah. Yeah, go God ahead. made tons of laws protect from their being the poor within um within israel so for instance um leviticus 19 9 and 10 
Gary be flipping through your page, and he be like, where's Leviticus? <laughs> it's that book that the page is still stuck together because nobody read it. Yo, Le- Leviticus. Leviticus, is at, Leviticus is at the end of the Bible. <laughs> right. Yeah, <you laughs> so like, for instance, Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10 says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges. Neither should you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Why? Um, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither should you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Why? Because you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. For I am uh, the Lord. And then uh, let's look at Deuteronomy 24 verses 20 and 21 real quick. Just to give you a couple references. Deuteronomy 24, 20 and, and 21 says when you when you beat your olive trees you shall not go over them again it shall be for the sojourner the fatherless and the widow when you gather the grapes of your vineyard you should not strip it afterwards it shall be for the sojourner the fatherless and the widow you shall remember that you were once a slave and a bed in the land of egypt therefore i command you to do this and so you see that God made provisions in the law to try to keep the people from having to be poor. The reason I'm saying that is because God's plan was never to have indentured servitude. It was a protective, uh, it was a protective measure. Um, and, and, and so a lot of times I think when we think about, you know, God, right? If we're just being honest here, I think a lot of times when we, when we think about God, we sometimes ask ourselves the question like well i mean it's god he could have just he could have just fixed it or he could have never you know why didn't he just condemn it you know and i always tell people like well no god did condemn slavery he condemned it very clearly slavery as we know it he condemned it in exodus 21 16 he said put those people to death mm-hmm. right however um we have to realize that there's a contrast between that slavery and and ancient near eastern slavery and then our slavery and what we have to realize is that god put laws in place and god put laws in place here it is check this out oh we got to talk about this listen god put laws in place according to matthew 19 8 when they when they talked about the divorce laws jesus said what he said it's because of your hardness of heart that moses allowed you to divorce your wives your, your wife but from the beginning it was not so and so jesus says listen these laws were put in place because of the hardness of people's hearts. Never that yeah. God wanted or intended for them to be indentured servitude, but he knew that people's hearts were so wicked that they would not care for the poor. They would abuse um, th- their servants. They would, you know, they would abuse their women and, and, and leave them out here without taking care of them, right? God, God put these laws in place to protect people from going from being um um poor homeless um um outcasted and oppressed and when and so even when you look at the protective laws of god the social laws of god what you after what you see is there are so contrasted there's i mean key contrasting differences between how god said if a person has to be an indentured servant how you will treat them versus how the ancient near eastern cultures would treat them there's a vast difference because God is starting with the Imago Dei, right? right? The ancient Near Eastern cultures and the and the and the wickedness of people's hearts, they're starting with 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 supremacy and superiority. Mm. Where God is saying, "No, I'm starting with the Imago Dei. I made all people in my image." 
Mm -hmm. um, and so he he puts these protective laws um, in place. And I just want and I wanted to, to say that because when he puts these protective laws in place, he gives these instructions about a if they have to go and serve into you don't get to keep them forever after seven years deuteronomy 15 12 set them free right mm -hmm. in the year of the jubilee set all the servants free right so even if the debt isn't fully paid they let them go right mm -hmm. um and, and and then on this and then he even people could just buy you back Meaning your, your family could come in and say, listen, maybe you didn't have no money and you had to sell yourself into servant to, to be provided for or, or to pay back a debt. And, and he says, but if you got a family member who has it, the law is saying you go and redeem your kinsmen back from this person. And, and so you just kind of see all of these laws being put in place that, that clearly show mm -hmm. that what we've seen in the transatlantic slave trade and what we've seen in chattel slavery was not anything close to what the Bible was endorsing or recommending. Yeah, yeah. I just want to add um, to this. What this what Tank uh, was saying, right? So I'm, I'm going to give you like eight different contrasting points between chattel slavery and biblical slavery. So for chattel slavery, it's based on race. For biblical slavery, it's based on economics. Um, um, chattel slavery, it's arranged by the owner. Biblical slavery, it's initiated by the person themselves. So there's a big, there's a big difference there. Number one, uh, three, chattel slavery, you are beaten, sold, or traded. Um, um, biblical slavery, again, it's voluntarily. Uh, chattel slavery, uh, you're used for sex, but biblical slavery, there's no beatings. You cannot have forced sex because based on the, the rules that God has given, if you did any of that, the slave is free to go and you have to compensate them and give them the money that they need to start afresh. Right? Chattel slavery, there's no wages. In biblical slavery, you actually get paid money. You are allowed to build wealth. Um, in chattel slavery, you had, you had no legal or social rights. But in biblical slavery, you have legal and social rights. And, and, on, and the last part is, biblical slavery, you had possessions. Uh, chattel slavery, you are not allowed to own possessions. Now, in regards to what Tank is saying, these laws were important, right? And oftentimes, when we see the people in the Bible, in Israel, breaking these laws, God will send other nations to judge them. So it's not like uh, God is unfair. He knows when people are misbehaving. But I think the important thing to realize is when, you, when Tank was saying, um, like the ancient Near East culture, uh, the main difference that separated Israel from all the other nations is that the masters were kept accountable. So in the sense that the surrounding nations, the masters, when they had a slave, they could treat the slave in whatever way they want and they will not be responsible. If a slave ran away and they were brought back, the slave is killed. They will chop their ear off, they will chop their hands off just to send a message. By biblical slavery, these things were not permitted, right? So I, I would say like, um, if just to give a very big picture, there's three things you guys need to remember. I think when it comes to biblical slavery, um, number one, it's anti-harm. So basically, you're not allowed to harm the slave, right? So in Exodus 21, it says when a man strikes his slave, um, and, 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 uh, and when a man strikes his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go because of his eye. If he knocks out his tooth or his slave, he shall let the slave go because of his tooth. Um, chapter uh, ch chapter 21, verse 12, Exodus, uh, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. So essentially, 
if you strike a person and and the person dies or their teeth falls out or their eye falls out or there's some permanent damage to their bodies immediately they are set free and whatever wages they're supposed to earn for that 7 years the master has to pay them so for instance in the first year if uh if if the master beats the slave and automatically they are free to go and the master has to recompensate them for 7 years of wages that they have not worked yet right uh, so that's it's anti harm number 2 it's anti kidnapping i think tang mentioned this earlier on exodus 2160 if you kidnap a person you face the death penalty um if you steal your if you steal a person's slave you face the death penalty so it's kidnapping and then the third thing is anti return what does this mean so you know in america we buy stuff if it doesn't work we return it right in 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 uh in the bible you not you're not allowed to return like once you make a commitment to get this person uh to, to work with this person for the 7 years you have to fulfill your 7 years if not you have to pay them the money up front if you break the contract so it says but if your servant says to you i do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well with you then take an all and push it through his yellow into the door and you will become the servant for life do the same for the female servant so what this means is this right let me give you an example a real life scenario imagine a tank is a very rich person you know he's just he, he has a lot of money he owns a business now if i'm struggling with my finances i'm like bankrupt and i and i'm broke and i need to survive i will then go approach tank and say hey tank i have no money i want to work for you for the next 7 years and tank says okay deal you work for me for the next 7 years this is the amount of money again again during this 7 years i'm obligated to fulfill my duties to him because that's part of the contract and tank is also obligated to look after me and treat me right based on the contract that god has laid out <coughs> now if at any time tank breaks that contract and it's a very strict contract um he would then have to recompense he has to compensate me uh for the other years that i have not worked for no matter what because that's just part of the deal so like tank is at a loss if he treats me badly um and this is also similar like you know when people sign up for the military they need people to pay for their for their education or whatever stuff is the same thing you need to fulfill your contract now when it comes to let's say after my 7 years is fulfilled and i feel like you know what i can't make it out there on my own i just want to keep it safe i want to work i want to work for tank for life you know because i think it's still safer then what happens in that culture you will go to the court you will get a ear piercing in front of the judge and with the ear piercing then i'm indebted to tank for life meaning i'm going to work or tank for life and tank is obligated to look after me for life if he at any point breaks the law then he has to compensate me so then i can go have my own house my own family and all that kind of stuff and in 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 this situation if i'm working for tank i'm allowed to have my own family i'm allowed to have my own kids all that kind of stuff so if i would argue and to, to show that if if the antebellum south if the slave owners were literally following the bible to the T if they were following the bible according to god's word then technically everyone should have been freed and record, uh, like you know be compensated for their work but it's kind of obvious people were abusing what scripture was teaching they were cherry picking and using it to suit their own uh, benefit and that's why we see what we saw in america uh, in slavery so it's it's very important to understand that these laws were there to protect people there was a way to do it and the masters were definitely held to a very high standard Uh, compared to other countries, I think one scholar put it this way: um, 
if you were living in the ancient Near East and you had to be a slave, it would be kind of ridiculous for you to be a slave in other regions. You would want to be a slave in uh, Israel. Gotcha. And so, and 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 so, for those who who are who are listening, um, you know, if as we're talking about why we can't connect these verses to what we understand to happen in the transatlantic slave trade here in America is the first one is if, if they were following the Bible, we wouldn't be slaves um, because they kidnapped us. Um, and the Bible says they would have been put to death. Um, not only them, but the tribes that sold us. Um, and that's, a, that's another topic one day we'll have to do because some people love to say, you know, black people were, were also selling black people and I think sometimes people think that they, because America has created race, black and white, but black and white is not how God separates people as ethnic groups. And they were separated by land, language, and tribe. That in Africa, just because their color was the same color, they were not the same people. <laughs> um, and so they were, to protect their own tribes, they were, yes, indeed, helping these white men uh, enslaved rival tribes. But that's because we see Africa and say black, Africa black, but Africans see African as tribes, language, um, and land, and that's those are different uh, people. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation. But it would never been any slavery in the first place, um, the way that we seen it, because we were stolen and kidnapped and then sold to other people. And the Bible says, and if you buy somebody that's been kidnapped, you're caught in possession with them you gotta be put to death too mm-hmm. right but at the same time being very clear that we hear they they there would there could be none there's no way to manipulate the scriptures to the whippings and the beatings and the raping and the abuse of these these people that they should not have had to begin with um because this is adding more to um, their own their own condemnation, honestly. Every slave they killed was another death sentence upon themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, every person that they harmed um, would have been a free person, you know? Yep, and, exactly. and, and then even with the runaway piece, um, the reason that the slaves were able to run away is, is similar to um, in Deuteronomy 23, 15 and 16, it talks about Israel being commanded to offer a safe harbor for foreign runaway so slaves. Where would they, why would they foreign? Because they would have been why, foreign slaves too. They could have been soldiers, depending on the, if, if they, because uh, that slave word also has like the king's servants were considered, they, that used that same word, Ebed, uh, some, some high official servants yeah. were who used that word, Ebed, so as well. But the issue was they were coming out of an ancient Near Eastern culture that was a different type of uh, treatment towards people. And sometimes they had to bounce and they bounced in, in Israel who had much softer and much more humane reception of people were commanded to receive these people in. Um, and what's that saying is that no, people, fugitive slaves should have ran. They should have broke free from the, the inhumane possession of them and the inhumane treatment of them because it's unbiblical, anti-God. Um, however, we know that the fugitive slave law in America legally required runaway slaves to be returned to their masters. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at that, that sounds more like the code of some, uh, uh, Hammurabi. Hammurabi huh? Yeah. 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 I mean, 
just to add on to that, like you know, just what Tank was saying. If if you read, I'm, I'm going to read you the South Carolina slave law in 1712. Right, it says this: Slaves were forbidden to leave the owner's property unless they obtained permission or were accompanied by a white person. Any slave attempting to run away and leave the colony received the death penalty. Any slave who evaded capture for 20 days or, or more was to be publicly whipped for the first offence, to be branded on the right cheek with the second offence, or to lose a year if they absent for more than 30 days. And it says uh, owners refusing to abide by the slave code were fined and forfeited ownership of the slave. So it, this literally sounds like the code of Hammurabi back then in the ancient Near East. Right, based on what Tank and I just discussed, if they actually followed the laws, first of all, they were breaking all the laws. The moment they kidnap, that's it, death penalty. Um, the moment they whip someone, you're free to go. So they're breaking all the laws. So like, there is definitely no way uh, it's consistent with what uh, the Old Testament way of doing things were. You know? No, absolutely. And and I know something else, man, that I found interesting as we were studying this, man, more and just looking into this is. Here's the beauty, man. America has fought for, for for freedom of slaves, and even given slave freedom wasn't because they thought to, we were human. They just it was just economically better. Um, they built the free slaves. However, under the servanthood of the Hebrew word slave, um, which is not again, if you're just tuning in, which is not, we've already explained. You have to go back and watch it. Is not is not what we think about when we hear the word slave. Um, it's endangered, endangered servanthood. Um, but here's the killing part, or here's the good thing about it: because it was never God's intention. Because God actually did not want anybody to be poor to the sake where they would need to now enter into indentured servanthood. Um, because God created man and all men and women in His image. Which gives us this in, this innate uh, human uh, 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 treatment or reality or humane treatment or whatever. Um, because of that, here's the here's the thing I love about God. All of this stuff only exists because of sin. Now, mm. now some people like when I start talking this talk. They like yeah, it's just sin, it's just sin. Um, but the sin manifested itself in treatment of human beings. And because the sin manifested itself in the treatment of human beings, I've already read it to you from Matthew 19 and 8. Jesus said that there was laws put in place to protect the people from the hard hearts of the other people. Mm -hmm. So sin manifests itself in inhumane treatment of people. God put laws in place to protect the people. Mm -hmm. Now, Lynn, you got to give me two seconds here. Go ahead. Um, because I can't, I can't skip this moment. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Because people in this season are saying, it's just a sin issue. We just preach the gospel. Um, laws, you know, laws don't change people's hearts. You're right. And Jesus knew that laws don't change people's hearts. God knew that laws don't change people's hearts. But he put the laws in place to protect people from the wicked people's hearts until their hearts were changed. <laughs> right? And so we, we need to care about laws as Christians. Because the laws are protecting us, similar to the divorce laws protecting the wise from just mistreatment. They were put in place because of the hard hearts of individuals, right? And so, and so, but here's what I love about God. Here's what I love about God. Sin created the problem. The manifestation of sin played itself out in the mistreatment of human beings. God put laws in place to protect the human beings. But here, here, here's what I love. 
all of God's laws were a consistent thing to move those individuals who were indentured servants to liberation. Every law God put in place had a consistent theme still of liberation. So sin created the problem. The sin in people's hearts uh, manifested itself in inhumane treatment of people. God put laws in place to protect the people from the sin of, of the people's hearts while the laws also move those people to be liberated completely. Mm. And, and so when we, I, you don't see that. And 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 the transatlantic slave trade. You don't see that in chattel slavery. You don't. There's not all of the laws like Glenn just read of 1712. They were meant to keep people enslaved. Mm -hmm. They were meant to approve of the mistreatment of people. But God's law was meant to liberate. Levit Leviticus 25:25. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold Leviticus 25 and 39 if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you you shall not make him serve you as a slave right mm -hmm. Leviticus 25 and 40 he shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner he shall serve with you he shall mm -hmm. serve with you hey check this out not he shall serve you he shall serve with, with you, you until the year of the Jubilee, the biblical narrative demonstrates redemption of servants. Abraham's servant. Remember Eliezer? That, that was a beautiful picture of him being redeemed. Listen, he was he he was a uh, 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 freed and redeemed. He was almost even given um he was gonna be the one to 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 to, to, to be to, the seed of Abraham. I mean the the the, the possessor of the of the inheritance of Abraham, his servant. You know what I'm saying? If he didn't have the child, he was fully prepared, right? Um, and the Israelite girl who served uh, Naaman's wife, she was set free. She was redeemed. The prophets constantly uh, condemn um, anybody who would try to keep people oppressed because of... Um, I, I, I don't be wanting to go here. Just be so clear in the Bible. Keeping people oppressed because of an inability to provide for themselves. The Bible condemns the person who does not set them on course to liberation. Um, and so that's what I love about God and what we have to see is that the, the, the laws were still set forth um, yeah. on this trajectory of, li of liberation. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that's very helpful. Um, I, I mean, just imagine right now, and we don't, right now in our society, we often go like, wait a minute, people are poor, we need to help them. You know, so like, what do we do? Um, if, if you read the Old Testament, that's exactly the solution that God provided. So you, can't, you, you cannot be complaining that the poor is not being taken care of. And now when God finds a way to take care of the poor, you're like, oh, why is he using the word slavery? Why is he using this um, system, right? So I, I, I'm going to quote Paul Pope and he says this, right? The overarching goal expressed through these laws in the Old Testament was to eradicate debt servanthood in the land. Hence, if there were no poor people, there would be no need for debt servanthood or slaves. The seven-year rule also prevented the abuse and institutionalization of indentured servants. Because, you know, human hearts like to take advantage of situations, so seven years, you can't do that. It was also acted as a humble reminder to Israel that poverty-induced servanthood was not an ideal social arrangement, right? Uh, it existed because poverty existed. Right? If there's no poverty, there's no servants in Israel. 
and if servants lived in Israel, it was a voluntary arrangement and not forced. In addition, um, when it comes to the jubilee, right, at the end of 50 years, uh, let's say I want to be a permanent slave to tank, at the end of 50 years, it's in the law of Israel that whoever owns the land that I used to own, that person needs to give the land back to me. Right, so at the end of the 50th year, and, and, and this pro, and this pro protected generational uh, wealth, yep. right? So, so let's say it's like I am Tank's son, and both of us are working for uh, uh, a master. Tank may pass away, right? But because I'm still there, at the end of 50 years, whoever owns that land that we lost because we can't afford it, that person has to return the land to my family at the end of 50 years. Right, so it's set up in such a way where um, the poor will be looked after. It's it's set up in such a way that the followers of Yahweh had to care for people. So it's not just uh, talk only, but it was such a way that uh, you know everyone will be taken care of. Obviously, this is very different from our society today because that was an agrarian culture. Um, but there are definitely principles we can you know uh, push forth in, in where we are today. Absolutely. Um... Uh, let me see. Um, what you thinking? So, I mean, we we, we kind of hit, I think, so we kind of hit on the word slave and how it, it doesn't carry the same meaning that we hear when we hear the word slave, but it's more of, of a, a servant type relationship, an employee, it's voluntary willing. Um, we kind of hit on the difference between, um, some of the ancient Near Eastern practices of slavery versus how God placed laws to protect. Um, kind of from that inhumane, from that inhumane uh, treatment. So even you know, even kind of like um, um, you know, the in the I think you, I think you said this. I think you said this, uh, Glenn. Where in the ancient areas and culture, if they beat a slave, the, the master got paid for the slave's injury. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. the boss, like what's like what's that about, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like how you, you hurt me and then you get paid because I made you lose money, but you the one who hurt me. Um, but mm -hmm. the, the point is that what we see again is that it's an extraordinary difference, right? And in, in the Near Eastern law in regards to the biblical uh instructions, where if you hurt your slave, and, and I'm, I know the word I hate you keep using the word slave, remember I told you that most scholars agree. That read the English translation there using it's just a bad word. But when you're translating things from one language to another language, you don't always have the perfect word. Um, and so you pick the word that 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 makes sense in that cultural context. Yeah. But it really that but a lot of translations they will change that to servant. Um in some but but at the end of the day, um it's just a bad it's a it's a it's a grave difference from God protecting these people. Um, that had to sell themselves for the sake of their family, for the sake of of, mm -hmm. of, of, of surviving, and mm -hmm. and so you know I think so I, I think we hit on I think we hit on that. If y'all watching, y'all can y'all can drop comments or questions. In yeah, as well. any questions at this um, point? We I think we talked about. I mean, I brought out why God didn't just condemn slavery altogether, um, and we kind of talked about His heart there. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about the Bible. Point is it, it led to restoration and freedom and liberation, mm -hmm. um, and, and and but we have only we had kind of just been in the Old Testament. The New Testament has a has an understanding of slavery that is different as well. So yeah. I don't know if you wanted to 
kind of jump into I don't the know. New Testament or uh, I don't know. I think before we jump into the New Testament, you want to address some of the passages in the Old yeah, Testament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want to deal with some of the difficult passages? Yeah, yeah. So right. I mean, like, like uh, with that said, um, now that we've explained the whole model of what slavery meant in the Old Testament. There are definitely challenging passages again when when read through our eyes. It will be like, wait a minute, you said all this, but it still says this. So how do we deal with uh, challenging passages? Now, uh, one of our um, people, I think Tank would agree with this. We like Vince Vitali from uh, RZIV. He says this, right? A little bit of Bible study can be very confusing, and it's normal for you to be confused if you see a passage. That's just part of the whole. Christian walk, but lots of Bible study will give you great confidence in God's word. So um, the reason why I say this is, if you see a challenging passage in the Bible, just pause on it for a moment. It might not, it might not mean what you think it means. And there are people like Pastor Tank who can, who, who might be able to help you. So always, always pause, always pause when you read certain challenging passages. Because if you know the God of the Bible, his, his, his heart is for his people. So we have to also understand why certain things are there, right? And um, again, with, uh, with a lot of things in the Old Testament, we're sort of dealing with a very like backward culture, uh, a warlike culture. So things aren't supposed, things aren't as perfect as we think we want it to be. So that's it. Let's jump into uh, one of the first challenging passage. Um, so we've been quoting from Exodus 21 and how Exodus 21 says that if you, if you if you beat a slave, you'll get the death penalty. Or you try to kidnap a slave, you get the death penalty. But yet, the skeptics will cherry pick the verses and will, they, will, they will quote the same Exodus 21 to say, Ha! You see? We got you. Your explanations are not true. So the first one we want to go through is Exodus 21, verse 20 to 21, which is the same passage that Hank uh, saw in the meme. Uh, that people were sort of trying to say like, yeah, it's okay to beat your slave. So I'm going to read it and then we're going to go through that really quickly, right? So basically in Exodus 21, it says this, when a man strikes his slave, male or female with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, uh, he is not to be avenged for the slave is his money. So what people will say is, oh, look, it says if you beat, uh, if you beat the slave, um, he can get avenged, right? But after the beating, and he's he's fine in a day or two, you know what? It is it's all good. Um, so uh, and also the slave is his money, meaning the slave is his property. So now people are saying, oh, what does that mean? Because uh, isn't that people? Isn't that how people are abusing this whole Bible passage? So number one, if you read the first uh, the uh, verse twenty when it says he shall be avenged. The Hebrew word for avenge there is nakam, N-A-Q-A-M, nakam. If you see how the way nakam is used in the Old Testament, it literally means the death penalty. <laughs> it's just like you beat the slave to death and he die. If you beat the slave and he dies, you face the death penalty. Now, as the owner, they don't want to, they don't want to face the death penalty. No one does. So clearly you can't uh you can't uh, beat a person like that, right? But it says if the slave survives a day or two, right? Uh, and um then he is not to be avenged. Now, honestly, we don't know how exactly people would discipline, how the employee would discipline their employees. We don't know how that works. Again, it's a very like uh, ancient culture. The whole point of that was to show that the master did not have any intention of killing the person. But also it's like, uh, how do you say? Um, um, there was no murderous intent of the person. 
because if there's a murderous intent, the person gets set free and he gets a death penalty. But the other part, the other part about for the slave is his money. So people will take issue with that. Are you saying that the slave is his property? So what does the word money mean in the translation, right? So there's basically two, you could go two routes. The first route is this. Um, when it says the slaves is the money, what it's actually saying is that because the master has really purchased this person, uh, purchased the slave, if you mistreat your slave, the master is going to bear the cost of purchasing the slave because that's his investment. Um, you know, so if he were to actually kill the person, he's actually losing money. If he were to hurt the person, he's actually losing money. So that doesn't mean money in that in verse 21 doesn't necessarily mean like property. Um, or the other route you could go is uh, because the master has um, hurt the slave in a certain way, light injury and whatever injury he may face um, that is not permanent, um, he is paying the doctor's fee. So because the master has, has the responsibility to look after the slave, he has to bring the, the, the slave to the doctors and pay for his fee because he's responsible. So in either way, it's going to cost the master money and his life if he doesn't look after the slave properly. So the, the analogy I can give off is, I know um, I'm, I'm a Golden State, Warrior fa- Golden State Warriors fan just because, they, just because of their three-point shooting. Tag doesn't like that. But I remember when uh, Kevin Durant was injured, uh, Golden State Warriors had to look after his medical bills because he's working for Golden State Warriors. And no matter what, uh, if they don't treat Kevin Durant, then they will be wasting their investment that they have paid. So it's, it's on the responsibility of the owner of the team to sort of nurse and pay the bills for Kevin Durant because that's their job. So um, so essentially the word money for the slave is his money. It's not, it doesn't mean like property because we already talked about uh, there is freedom uh, being a slave in Israel. Uh, so it's just, a, it's just again, definition of words and what these words uh, mean in context. Got you. No, that's good, man. That's a really, a really, really good explanation um, of everything that you said um, from breaking down, you know, why. Um, and, and one of the things that I, I, I just always add is, man, when you're reading that, when you read these difficult passages, um, then you have to, again, you have to see these things not through the Western culture lens. You have to look at these things. Man, so... How you view God is going to affect how you view the scriptures. That's just the reality, right? If you come to the scripture with a disdain from God, looking to find him to be some evil creator, um, then you'll run across any Bible passage and be like, look at that. Would a loving God do that? Well, since God is loving, you can get it. The answer is yes. So, um, but how you view God affects how you, you view scripture. No different than how I view you, and I'm guilty of it a lot of times, use kind of uh, determines how I kind of interpret your your writing you know is you ever you ever shoot somebody a text message and, and they and they say something to you like well you was talking all you you was getting loud with me and you like it was a text message what are you talk? like I, I you you out here getting an attitude with me and, and I'm like it's a text message you put the attitude behind the words not me because I literally just wrote some words you know what I'm saying but yep. based on how a person feels about you determines how they interpret what you write or what you say, right? And so where we begin with God determines how we view these passages to begin with. And so, but when you begin to understand God as a loving father, this is why you have to start sometimes in the beginning. Mm-hmm. When you begin to understand the personal uh, the personal piece of God from being uh, just Elohim to, 
to being uh, the Lord God. You know what I'm saying? Which 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 he begins to, to when then Yahweh God when he gives his name um, to, to Adam and begins to give that personal relationship with him. You begin to see God as a loving God, as a deliverer, pulling out of the Exodus these people, right? That that he have he has called to himself. And so when you look at all of that and you start with the loving peace of God, there's no way to read any of these challenging passages and miss the love and protection of a father in this passage. Mm. God's not saying, if I read a law, it dep- and again, it also depends on the hardness and the wickedness of an individual's heart, right? If I read a law that says, um, uh, do not speed, if you speed, you'll get a speeding ticket. And then I look and say, look, you out here endorsing speeding. Because and it's like because because you ain't say you ain't just say don't speed. You you said you will be fined if you speed. Well, so you're endorsing speeding. And it's like, well, no, I'm not endorsing speeding. The 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 penalty that I'm speaking of is meant to deter the person from speeding. Mm. So God is not giving uh, 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 uh is not endorsing the abuse of your of of a, of a servant. What he is saying is, I don't condone it. And let me show you how I don't condone it by the penalty that I attach to you if you do it. The idea is to prevent you from wanting to harm the person by what? Attaching it to either your own life or attaching it to what? Your economics. If you attack a person's economics, they'll always think twice if their money can be messed up by their actions, right? Um, And so when you read those passages, I always just like to add, even if you don't understand all of the the, the, the cultural breakdown, you, you have to just be able to see protection. If you don't mind, Glenn, it's not it's not on the list, but here's one, because I know we have women watching, but yeah. if, even if you go starting at verse seven, when a man sells his daughter as a slave and she shall not go out as the male slaves do, if she does not please her master who has de- uh, 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 de- uh, uh, designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed he shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her if he designates her for him for his son he should deal with her as with a daughter if he takes another wife to himself he shall not diminish her food or clothing or her marital rights and if he does not do these things for her uh she shall go out for nothing without payment or without money you read that and it's like oh my goodness they're selling women sex trafficking and it's like we again I'm not going to say I agree with the culture back then, but the culture was the culture back then. Um, yes, we thank God that we live in America and that's not the culture. However, it was the culture back then. And remember, we could say, well, why didn't God just say it's wrong? Well, he did. He's already said it's wrong. But the other thing is to remember is that always go back to Matthew 19, 8. These things mm. were put in place because of the hardness of your heart. I, I don't, I, I, I want to just say don't do it, but my people are so wicked that if I don't at least put a safeguard in, a safeguard in place for when they break my, 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 my word, like, you know, he know they sinful. He said it in, in, in Genesis 6, right? And every, uh, all intentions of man's heart was on, was evil continually, <laughs> right? So he know we wicked. So he's like, listen, if I just leave it to don't do it, well, then how do I protect the people when you do do it? So he puts these laws in place, knowing the wickedness of the people's heart. And mm. so, you know, uh, remember back then arranged marriages happened. People, um, people would, would give their daughters as, I, I'm not agreeing with it, but they would give their daughters as a debt sometimes, 
um, if, 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 the, if the master liked the daughter. But you got to remember, women were women were arranged in their marriages back then. And oftentimes, without the marriage, it's a messed up society for my feminist people who may be watching. It's, but I'm just giving you the culture back then. I'm not affirming the culture. <laughs> um, it was a messed up society. But without the male, then the woman was left with no food, clothing, mm. or anything, right? Especially if the father in, in, ends up dying. And so here, what the Bible is saying is, but listen, if you take this woman and you go into contract for her to be your wife, you do not get to go now give her off to some other man. Um, I mean, you should not, you, you can't just send her out into the field to work as your male servants do. She has a, a place now in your home. She's, mm. she's treated with a different level of respect and dignity now as yes, your servant and wife. Okay? Mm. Now, but if you don't want her, and somebody could look at that and be like, oh, she didn't please him. He wanted to get rid of him. No, you can't just kick her to the curb. Now, you have to allow her to be redeemed by someone else. You have to allow her the, the ability to still have that head covering, um, that economic protection. Right? And, and he said, but you can't sell it to a foreign people. You can't, or anything. And he's saying, you broke faith. And, and, and so he puts all of these rights in place to protect the woman because the culture back then, the woman was unprotected, right? Mm -hmm. I did, a, you know, the widow, I did a whole message. When the father died and the widow was left, the widow was now vulnerable, right? Um, and so these, these laws were put in place. Only thing I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is these laws were put in place. No matter how difficult we like them, they were put in place to protect people in a culture. They Yo. were put in place to protect people from the culture that they were living in and to protect people from the wicked hearts of other people. That's all. Yep. Yeah, brilliant. And last thing before we move into the New Testament, it's so interesting that you mentioned that these laws were put in place. Right? And in Exodus 21, people are quoting, people are using Exodus 21 to show that the Bible permits slavery. Like, like that's their, their main passage. But what we forget is in Exodus 20, one chapter before, God gave the Ten Commandments. You know, like in Exodus 20, God just gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, right? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Stealing slave, like God just gave the Ten Commandments and now he's applying the Ten Commandments to these laws in society in Exodus 21. This is how you treat a slave. This is how you treat them. So it's, it's you just like jump on board and say, nah, this is like, yes, the thing, whether or not you believe in God, I haven't met anyone that would say the Ten Commandments are bad. Right, Literally, right, right. Every, every single law in society that we find today can be traced back to somehow the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. Like, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Everything right. comes from there, you know? So, um, like, literally in uh, Western culture, our values and stuff, it's all based on literally the Ten Commandments. So, I think that's something for people to understand. Um, you know, just before you go to Exodus 21, go to Exodus 20. Most most biblical error happens because people just either didn't read before or didn't keep reading. They just but yeah. but these because these people aren't interested in actual biblical truth. They're interested in finding anything to 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 block and create barriers from people from coming to the truth. These people are wicked. I just call it what it is. They're wicked and they're evil. 
right? They have no, they have no desire to actually honor the, the, the ancient text. They have no desire to honor the God, the creator of all. All they want to do under the under, I'd say as Jesus said, man, operating under the under under by, by their father Satan is to stop God's God um and his message from redeeming people. Because guess what, guys? Satan doesn't whether you believe in the spiritual world or not, hey Glenn, you should know when you do a live with an apologist and a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead. Because whether you believe in the spiritual or not, the reality is there is the spiritual. And Glenn pointed it out before. I, I think you said it, Glenn. If not, I'll say it. At the end of the day, we are, well, oh yeah, I think you're, you're probably gonna bring it out in the New Testament. We are all slaves, right? We're either spiritual slaves to the enemy are spiritual slaves to God. Romans chapter 6. And God is moving people to be slaves or servants to himself. Right? Um, which actually is liberation from being a servant to the enemy unwillingly. Because you didn't have to tell Satan that you want to be his slave. All you have to do is not submit to God and you mm. have now unvoluntarily un un voluntarily <laughs> made yourself a slave to Satan. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> and and guess what? Satan does not want to let loose the chains that he are, he is holding you in. And so what does he do? He raises up these non-healthy skeptics cuz skepticism is good. I'm all about the healthy skeptic. But mm -hmm. a healthy skeptic asks questions. An unhealthy skeptic doesn't seek out answers. And so he raises up these skeptics to go nitpick Bible verses, throw it in a already hurting person's face, and then leans to an emotional argument to cause them to put barriers up from hearing and receiving the gospel. We got to understand the tricks of the enemy, y'all. And when you come across these passages and their means, I, my, my light's going dumb in here because I don't have my, I just had the natural light. But their means, you guys, okay, their means, you should at least say, let me go talk to somebody who does this. And not in an arrogant way, but we are people who invest our time. I've invested 11 years into studying the Bible, right? We, we have invested money and time into being able to help people understand the biblical text because it is powerful and important to your life. So please stop just posting memes and then and comment <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. And go find somebody and say, hey, I got some questions. Write them, drop them on them. I got some hard questions and I need some answers. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's my right. Yep. I'm going to um, turn my light on. As you go, I'm going to turn my light on. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, once again, let's see. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I think the other thing is this, right? If you were to encounter difficult passages like this passages in the Bible, honestly, that is normal. It is not abnormal for you to feel a certain way. If you were a human, if you were a human being with a conscience, it is natural for you to go like, oh, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. You know, like this doesn't sound right. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna like shame anyone for, oh, if, 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 like when I first saw these passages, it also made me feel uncomfortable. That's normal, that's part of the whole Christian journey. But the question is, what do you do with that, that, that uneasiness, right? Do you, do you share a meme? Or do you go speak to your pastor? Maybe some pastors, they can't answer that, but you can, 
speak to people that like there are resources like we live in a day and age where there's so much information there's no reason why you, you you're not able to get this answer on uh, this specific doubt answered you know so right now you can ask uh faster tech or you could just approach me either way we're all on social media now uh, so with that said uh let, let's move let's move into the new testament uh, and just quickly talk about it and then leave some time for a few and Right, right. So, um, you want you want to kick us off for the New Testament? Uh, sure. I'll kick us off for the New Testament. So, I think the uh, the the popular New Testament notion, most people are going to kind of quote that Ephesians six and nine. Masters, uh, do the same to them and stop. Uh, no, that's not the one they quote. Which one are they quoting? Slaves uh, obey your masters. Yeah, slaves. Oh, yeah, slaves. Yeah, they're going to quote the the, the slaves obey. Um, your master passage. Now, here is the, the thing that we have to realize, right? And I'll be honest, right? The slavery in the New Testament um, is, is a lot different than the slavery in the Old Testament. Um, we're just going to be very clear there. Um, all right? And the, but, but here's a little bit of background that we have to understand right um it's different than the old testament situation right so in the old testament we talked about kind of this hebrew debt servanthood right male or female but and then we talked about this liberation to freedom right however in the roman world listen they were a lot worse than the ancient Near Eastern culture in the roman world um they, they actually existed to try to institutionalize this chattel or property slavery Right, and so Rome, unlike the Old Testament, they actually were not trying to have servanthood, but actual chattel slavery. Right, and so here's the here's the situation. Now understand the situation. Now, most of the benefits don't change when we talk about uh, freeing slaves in the Old Testament, but understand the, the setting. Right, in the first century, uh, eighty-five to ninety percent of Rome's population consisted of slaves. Okay, listen to that. 85 to 90% of Rome's population in the first century were slaves. Okay. Um, and they were considered master's property. They didn't have legal rights. Um, they didn't have any uh, privileges. Um, they couldn't, you know, start businesses, have money. They couldn't earn money. They couldn't free themselves. This was the condition of Rome when, when, when Jesus is walking the earth. Uh, I'll be, uh, I'm resisting so much here. Um, but this was the condition of Rome when he was when he was walking the earth and moving after that, which is why he comes citing passages like you know Luke 4:18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. I love this verse to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive jesus quotes that scroll from isaiah 61 to a oppressed people in an oppressed society he says he sent me in this appointed time right because the bible says that jesus came he went when the, when the, at the at the fullness of his time when at the appointed time sent me at this appointed time to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight from the blind and to set liberty at liberty and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and so we see right out the gate that the message of christianity is being spoken to a culture of people where 85 to 90 percent of the people were slaves and let me explain something 
all the Jews were slaves. Yes, they were free. They had their own government, but they were slaves under the Roman Empire. And Jesus speaking says, my message is about setting free those captives. My, my message is about liberating the oppressed. And so if we just stop right there, we know that any Christian me message that is in support of the continuation of slavery is anti-Christian. So I, that's what I'll yeah. start it off at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, just to add what Tank was saying, so think about it, 85 to 90% of people were slaves under the Roman Empire. Um, I think you know, they, they, some of them had some rights, right? Um, at least Paul Copan was saying, like, you could start a business, you could earn money to buy your freedom. Uh, you also could own property. Uh, how, however, um, these so-called slaves and and the, the the word for slave in the New Testament is doulos, d o u d u o l o s, doulos, translated as servant, right? Um, there's a mixture of blue-collar workers and white-collar workers. So you could be a miner, a farmer, a tradesman, or you could be a doctor or a businessman. Um, so some slaves were treated better than the others. Um, but and, and that is the, the cultural setting that we're in. Now the the thing is this, right? The question is, uh, people were caught. I mean, not people were caught. Again, the, the slave masters in America, they would say, yeah, slaves obey your masters, right? But again, you must understand this is called what you call the cherry picking, right? Um, I can do all things through any Bible verse. Yes. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ by by quoting scripture out of context. Um, now, if you if you if you read First uh, Timothy nine ten, right? Um, Paul is talking about the ten commandments in ex in just now. I, I we talked about earlier in Exodus when God just gave the ten commandments, but in First Timothy nine, Paul is referring to the ten commandments. First Timothy nine ten, and just in that verse alone, Paul's already said he he repudiates slave trading. He affirms the full human dignity and equal spiritual status of slaves, and he also encourages slaves to uh, acquire their freedom wherever possible. Now, the interesting is interesting thing is this, right? Like, if you are a slave in that culture, um, even as Paul was speaking, you are allowed to be a pastor, you are allowed to lead a congregation, you are allowed to participate in society that way. Now, um, something we need to consider again is, if you read uh, Ephesians 6, yeah, Paul slaves, slaves obey your masters, right? But, if people continued reading, like what Tank was saying, people don't continue reading. Paul also had a message for the, for the masters. He said, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven. So Paul is also telling the master, hey, if you have a slave, make sure you treat them right because, hey, God is watching and God knows what you're doing. He also says this, right? Um, and masters, Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both your master and yours is in heaven. There is no favoritism with him. So Paul is essentially telling uh, the masters and Ephesians, yeah, like, you know, slaves obey our masters. Serve them well. Like, like do, do all things unto Christ uh, because that way you'll be a light. You'll be a light unto them and you'll show them what Christ is like. But at the same time, there are masters who are Christians as well and non-Christians like, hey, look after them as well. Like, you need to look after them properly the same way you look after yourself. And if you and if, if you further go on to the book of Philemon, Paul actually tells uh, one of their runaway slaves on C1, one Seamus or on Seamus, um, Paul literally says to Philemon to treat your slave as a brother. 
right? Treat your slave as a brother. He doesn't say, yeah, treat your slave as a slave. Treat your slaves as a brother, as how you want to be treated. You know, so again, Paul is affirming the full human dignity of the slave. He is asking people to treat them the way you should be, like the way you want to be treated and love them. And I think if you read, uh, if you read the book of uh, Revelations chapter 18, um, John, uh, the author of Revelation, he's actually uh, condemning Babylon because uh, Babylon had cargo, right? He he condemned, like God was judging them because they had cargo. They were trafficking human slaves and human lives. And that you see in Revelation, God is condemning them, right? So in the New Testament, it's very clear that, you know, uh, no one in the New Testament is endorsing slavery. And I think when, um, like what Tank mentioned earlier on, um, he talks, talks about Jesus. Jesus, now he considers you a friend of God. Like what does it mean by being a friend of God? Um, versus he's like, um, you know, once he's, Jesus says, right, I no longer call you servants, but rather I consider you my friend whom he would die for. Jesus is willing to die for his servants. Jesus is willing to die for the slave. Jesus is willing to die uh, for his friends. Now, how many people in the antebellum south were willing to die for their slaves? Often it's the other way around. They are dying for them, right? To get them profits. So you can see a very stark contrast here. Again, the New Testament uh, isn't endorsing that. But we also need to remember the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. So it's not two separate books. It's a continuation manifesting itself differently. So if we understand the heart of God in the Old Testament, we've really laid out the, the laws in his heart. Now, Jesus is the same God of the Old Testament. He definitely does not endorse it. And now he came to set the captives free. I think that's something to consider, you know, when we read through these passages. No, that's, yeah. I agree 100 I agree again 100 really good breakdown um i do um one one verse um that people sometimes like to bring out and i know i struggled with it for a minute but i just wanted to read it yeah a little bit of clarity to it and that's that first corinthians 7 uh verse 20 um because i've read if you google First Corinthians seven. Yeah, First Corinthians seven. If you okay. Google like um, um, slavery, got questions, right? And, yeah. You know, I got issues with the way they answer some of these questions. But yeah. one of the things they they bring out is that you know Paul says in First Corinthians seven twenty, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called, right? Or you were bond servant when you were called. Don't be concerned about it. And and people, but people miss that. What it also says and. And it's not a textual issue, it's there. Um, but what it also says, right, after that is, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself uh, of the opportunity. Uh, I love, I'm not a, a huge KJV uh, person at all. <laughs> I'm an but, ESV person. <laughs> yeah, I went out of the EA, ESV, but what I, I love the KJV. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant care not for but if thou mayest be made free use mm. um and and so you see that paul is not telling people to remain slaves he's dealing with a mental condition or an internal thought process while mm. still and by still encouraging them to gain freedom so what he's saying is listen do not allow your slave condition um to 
to call to uh, to be the thing that 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 controls your existence. However, do not seek, do not uh, stop yourself from obtaining the very thing that that you should be, which is free. Um, and 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 I, again, I think that connection is so key because sometimes you know people say, well, it's just. You know, we're in Christ, though. It's all that matters. And it's like, yeah, but Paul also says, know who you are in Christ, but also seek to attain your freedom in the flesh. Um, and 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 so I wanted to pull that verse out just so we realize that because a lot of times people just quote the first part of that. And it's like, see, Paul is telling us that we should just stay slaves. And it's like, mm. well, no, he's not. But at the, at the same time, question has to be asked well why didn't paul just like the, I, I had to bring it out in the old testament right why did paul not just condemn slavery well well i love well uh, paul copen which by the way if, if you if you, you hear us keep talking about paul copen um this is the book that we're that we're referring to here it's um, called a moral monster it's got a moral monster uh, this is a really good book um it's a good starter book. It's some really, yeah. it's some other really good ones too. But this is a really good book for anybody that's looking to understand a little bit more like difficulties in, 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 in the in the scriptures. There's some other ones I'll show you guys before we leave here. But um, but Paul Copen, he he brings out that the reason Peter and Paul didn't call for an uprising to overthrow slavery in Rome was because he he didn't want this this pierced or this fierce opposition to the social order. Uh, of the culture, right? Because again, if you just take eighty-five to ninety percent of a society, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? If you just take eighty-five to ninety percent of a society, and you just say everybody rebel and go be free, well, these individuals were provided for by society. Um, I read somewhere that. To, to not be to be in servanthood made you better off than being poor because the only yep. option if you come out of being a slave when you were provided for they had a vested interest in taking care of you then what happens is you don't have anything and so now you become poor and the poor of society was treated lower than the servants mm -hmm. of, than the slaves of society and so Paul wasn't rushing to make people poor and oppressed um rather uh uh he, he took a more you know slower approach i guess if you want to use yeah. that word yeah i guess um i mean yeah so i mean just to uh close this part and i want to jump into something i think we still have a bit more time um, oh yeah yeah you gotta hit that you gotta yeah. hit that man um what is that uh, so essentially like i mean look look to the cross right jesus is the representation he, he sacrificed himself so essentially when you read the new testament the old testament and the new testament jesus and the new and the writers they came to give life they came to redeem and they came to release so i think you know um it's uh it's very important to look everything through through the lens of jesus and what and, and what he's uh done right um now i think uh i just want to segue to this important part which is connected to our topic about the bible and slavery um now i think for most christians uh in the sometime around the 15th century um people would say um yeah uh, the curse of ham the curse of ham is why black people 
are slaves today. That's why black people are treated the way they are because it's the curse of him. Now, if you understand where this idea came from, I mean, first of all, if you look, if you look into your Bible, like I'll bet you a million dollars, you cannot find the curse of him because the Bible doesn't say the curse of him. The Bible says the curse of Canaan. So anyone, like even some pastors today, they talk about the curse of him uh, when actuality that thing doesn't exist. Um, so like, what do I mean by this, right? So uh, in the 15th century, uh, Europe discovered uh, in the age of exploration, right? So this, they, they, they came across black people. So now they're, they're, they're trying to figure out uh, what do you call it? They're, they're trying to figure out where did these people come from since we haven't seen uh, Africans and stuff. So what happens is um, they, they, they look through the passages and try to use the Bible to support what they want to think rather than let the Bible speak for itself. So they read things into the Bible. So one of the things if you read uh, Genesis 9, chapter ch- chapter 9, verse 20 to 27, where, it, where Noah, got, uh, Noah gets drunk, um, People will often say uh, Ham. Ham is the father of um, Kush, Ethiopia, Egypt, and put Libya and Somalia. So essentially, that's where that's where the lineage of uh, the African community came from. However, um, when they say the curse of Ham, um, there, there really is no evidence about this curse of Ham. So if, if you actually read the Bible, uh, chapter nine, verse twenty to 20, 20 to twenty-seven, I'm going to summarize this for you. Noah gets drunk goes into his tent and then his son Ham saw Noah naked and because of that Noah, he saw Noah naked when Noah woke up Noah said oh you saw me naked and therefore he curses Ham that's what people will say but if you read the passage Noah curses Canaan he didn't curse Ham so the question is why did he curse Canaan instead of Ham and what, what, and what did Ham do wrong now, people will often misinterpret this curse as, oh, you see, because Noah cursed Ham, and because the Bible says that uh, the Canaan, the son of Ham, will be a servant to all his other brothers for life, people have interpreted this verse as a generational curse. So the reason why the black community is treated poorly is because of this curse in Genesis 9 that is intergenerational and black, the black community keeps getting treated horribly. Now, this, this is where it's important to, to, to read your Bible, right? Um, essentially, it says, um, we're going to read a verse starting from uh, verse 20, right? Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and he laid uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and essentially walked backwards and covered Noah. So the question is, what is the nakedness of Noah? Typically, we understand the nakedness of Noah as voyeurism. So Ham saw Noah naked and therefore, and therefore his father woke up and cursed, he cursed uh, Canaan and that's why he's punished. But if you actually read um, nakedness of Noah, the word nakedness is uh, idiom. So like the way Tang said, JT Miller is my dog, the word nakedness of someone doesn't mean nakedness is an idiom. So the question is, what does it mean? So for example, if I say to uh, Tang, right, let's paint the town red. In the US context, it has nothing to do with paint or red or, or redness, right? Uh, it's everything to do with, like, let's go have fun. It's an idiom. So essentially, when you read Genesis 9, it says the nakedness of Noah. What it actually means is, if you read, if you read Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, the nakedness of Noah is essentially the, uh, the nakedness of his wife. 
right? So I'm going to I'm going to read a passage from Leviticus 18 that says, "You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness." So essentially, the sin that Ham committed was maternal incest. Ham slept with his father's wife, and his father's wife, uh, Noah's wife, or uh, Ham slept with his mother, basically. And the offspring of that sexual relation is Canaan, and the reason why Noah cursed Canaan was so that、um, Ham or Canaan would not usurp the leadership of Noah. We see this happening a lot in the Bible, where David's son tried to sleep with his wife, or even、um, Reuben sleeping with Bilhah. That is the way in the ancient culture. That's how they would try to steal the leadership. So Noah is cursing Canaan so that this one-time generation. Canaan will not be the leader of the family. It has no generational curse at all, right? So why I mention this is because this myth floating around the curse of Ham, which is it doesn't exist, is actually the curse of Canaan. People will use the curse of Ham to say this is why、uh, black people are treated horribly, and you know we can't do anything about it. It's a curse from the Bible. Let's just because God curse or no one curse, it's a curse that's still lasting. We can't do anything about it. So I think it's very important to understand what the curse of Ham is actually the curse of Canaan and why it happened, and it's not a generational curse; it's a one-time thing. It's stuck there, and that's it. So there's no there's no reason why、uh, if someone would say this to you, like it sh- you should be concerned、uh, and definitely challenge them to explain themselves because that's not what the Bible is saying. Yeah, I agree, man.、Uh, it's it's sad that、um, we had some theological books. Um, that have you know they've re- they've redacted some of those statements, but you know made those have led to that that, that concept of belief that you know、um, black people are slaves、um, because of the curse of Ham, which is like you said, there is no such thing as a curse of Ham. It's the curse of Canaan, not Ham. <laughs>、um, right. And so they look at then the sons of Ham, according to Genesis 10, being. Cush Egypt,、uh, put and then and then I, you know, interesting enough, Canaan again. So、right. the, you know, the grandson of Canaan was Canaan,、um, and and they look at those places and they say, oh well, you know, that 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 black people,、um, exactly. And,、uh, exactly. And so Ham came to be widely portrayed as you know black,、yeah. blackness, servitude,、yeah. the idea of racial uh, uh, hierarchy. Yeah.、Um, and, and- And, and also, and also to add, there is no evidence in history that the people of Egypt, Somalia, or Libya, right, right, have under a curse. There is no, they have, they, they have led very prosperous societies. So it, it, it's definitely not the case here. No, I agree. And so, people to listen, what you have to realize is some of those theological historical books, when they, when they they've redacted those statements now and realize it's just bad theology. But yo. In the 19th century, this was the belief, right? In the 19th century, we're in the 20th century now, and it's been fixed. But in the 19th century, historians agreed that African Americans were descendants of Ham, and that justified slavery among Southern Christians. That mean that like this was again when I talk about systems and structures that are built based upon bad belief systems. Though our minds become transformed, and we no longer think like that. We、yeah. have to then go back and tear down the systems and structures that we built under that false way、yeah. of thinking. Even、uh, even Mormonism, Mormonism 
espouses that, they believe that the curse of Ham is black skin. So essentially, they believe that, you know, Ham, again, the curse of Ham doesn't exist, right? But it keeps being put, put forth. They believe that Ham used to be, wasn't black skin, but the moment Noah cursed him, his skin became black, right? So uh, if you look at the history of Mormonism, um, that is actually what they teach. That is what they believe. The curse of Ham is black skin. So, you know, again, more, and Mormonism is sort of one of those cultish uh, beliefs in America. No, that's good. That's real. Um, so I had a question come through. Um, <laughs> were you good on that, Glenn? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. So I had a question come through. Todd Sovine coming all the way from Wadsworth. <laughs> no, uh, he said the Bible appears in misunderstood ways to embrace slavery. Was slavery somewhat different then? People found themselves slaves for many reasons and thus scripture speaks to it in ways that appear condoning. American slavery was based on something very evil, forced uh, exploitation and based upon seeing the people group as expendable objects and not image bearers. In other words, we ain't comparing apples to apples all the time. Thus, Christians can use thus Christians can use scripture to support slavery um, in any fashion. Yeah. Um. So I, I early on we we kind of hit on that, showing that um the, the primary the primary Old Testament purpose of slavery by I, I got you shot on the camp by by God was uh, uh servant it was willful selling of yourself uh for the sake of paying off of a debt or because you were impoverished and so you would work you would get food clothing shelter and you would just work to pay as as your as your way of obtaining those things um and so we know that that's completely different from the evilness in a person's heart uh, that we see kind of in the American uh, slave trade. Now, as far as just um, kind of New Testament, yeah, I mean, there were different reasons why people were in slavery, in, in, as I understand it. Um, however, um, the Bible never condoned any of the reasons why. Um, and, and, and again, I think that goes back to what I was making the point earlier is that because God gives laws around something, we want God. It's the whole if good God, why evil argument. We want God to just do away with everything that we deem evil. But if that's the case, then he has to do away with you because he deems you evil. So if we want God to do away with everything that is evil, then we ultimately are asking for him to annihilate ourselves because to God, apart from Jesus Christ, we are wicked and evil to him. Um, and so God does not do that. Um, but what he does do is he put a redemptive plan in place to redeem us back to himself, to redeem us from slavery to the enemy, to freedom in him. And when we look at the laws that God put in place, he was not condoning slavery, right? I'm going to keep saying it again for my late timers. Matthew 19, 8. <laughs> Jesus says, the law of divorce was given because of the hardness of your heart, but it was never to be so from the beginning. 
in the same way God had to put laws in place because he did not just say, he didn't just do away with everybody that did something wicked and evil because he did that once before and all we had was knowing his sons left. And so he was like, I ain't about to destroy everybody again. I got a different path. I'm okay. And so instead now he puts these laws in place to protect the people from the culture and the times. But the laws that God put in place were also embedded within those laws, liberation. Um, which is why even when we get into the New Testament with Onesimus and Philemon, Paul is saying, listen, you don't receive him back as a slave, but as a brother. Right, liberate him. <laughs> Right? Because the Bible condones no people of the family of God to ever enslave each other. I don't know. I hope that answered the question. Yeah. I hope it did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, j- just to piggyback on that, right? Um, and this is more of a bigger point. I was, um, and relating this back to slavery, what your pastors are teaching, or even first of him, right? Um, you find a good majority of people in America who was supporting slavery back then. The reason, one of the reasons they supported that is they honestly thought that's what the Bible was saying, right? So you have their, you have their pastors, their preachers speaking from the pulpit, quoting Bible verses and saying slaves obey your masters. And you know what? They actually believe what their pastors were saying. Um, and that's why they felt like, oh, this is what my this is what my Bible is. This is what my pastor is teaching me. This is how he's interpreting the Bible. Oh, this is the this is a good way to love God. Because I want to be a good Christian and follow the Bible. So if he's saying that we should slaves obey your masters, I'm gonna follow that. Right now, here's the thing: bad interpretation always leads to bad application. So it's very important for you to read the Bible for yourself. Right, like be a Berean, like every sing- I'm pretty sure every single thing that Pastor Tank says, he would want you to go read the Bible for yourself, and like a Berean, check to see what he's saying is right. He's saying a lot of wise things, but yes, we, we as individuals, we need to read scripture on our own, uh, dive into the word of, by ourselves. Obviously, um, this is the thing, right? I'm not asking you to do solo scriptura. Sola scriptura, sola scriptura is. You know, all authority comes from the Bible and with regards to like faith and practices. Solo scriptura is you going in your own room, reading the Bible for yourself, coming up with your own interpretation and think, yeah, God gave me a revelation. That's very different, right? You need to check your interpretation with uh, people who've been doing this for a while uh, to, 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 to sort of understand. So I think when it comes to this whole method of, method of slavery, a lot of times people think that they're actually pleasing God by by applying the Bible in the way they think it's right, but actually completely wrong interpretation. That's why it's leading to bad application. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Did you have any questions on your end, Glenn? No, I mean, like, we still have some time. So if anyone has any uh, Q&A related to what we've been discussing or something else, we still have some time to, to uh, chat. Yeah, so listen, we got, we got, we got like seven minutes. We we quote to end this at nine. So if you got a question about what we discussed, um, or if you just got a question, period. You just got you got two guys on here, and you're like, you know what? I got a question. Uh, shoot for it. We'll see if we can answer it. <laughs> um, uh, I was just about to say something. 
I'm about to say something. While I wait on questions to come in, um, I, I, I want to affirm what my brother Glenn said again and again and again and again, man. Bad interpretation will always lead to bad application. We have to become biblically literate Christians, right? We are biblically, as a whole, we're not biblically literate Christians. Um, you know, we don't really know what the Bible, we know what the words say, but we don't know what the Bible actually is speaking to. Um, and it's leading us to having just some really bad interpretations of things and some bad applications of some things. And, and, it, and, it's, and at the end of the day, it, it's, it's hindering people. It's hindering people. And so I, I encourage everybody. I'm not saying you have to be, you know, a scholar of the world. There's people are called for that. That's different callings. But what I am saying is that, man, you have a responsibility to the text. Um, if the Bible is the only rule of faith and practice, then you have a responsibility to it. And, and when I say if, it's kind of like when the Bible says since. Um, it's not if, like maybe. It's since the Bible is the only rule of faith and practice. We have an obligation to it as Christians to do our due diligence and to not let memes dictate our theology. I'm not saying all memes are bad. If I Because I might make a meme. But I'm not saying all memes are bad. But what I'm saying is, if your theology is simply meme university and Google and, and Google Community College, um, I'm not sure that you're coming away with the proper interpretation of the Bible. Um, learn what it means very basically how to study the Bible. Begin to study the Bible and learn what it means. It will change. I don't. I've never met a person who has begun to truly study the Bible who has not said to me. Wow, I did yeah. not know the Bible was that rich. And I'm like, yes, that's because we keep getting the same regurgitated messages. Um, no, we got, man, when you start digging into this world, man, it is crazy what the Bible actually speaks to. Yeah, I was gonna say something. Um, there's a difference between Bible reading and Bible study. You can read your Bible, anyone can read your Bible. But again, the Bible study is where you figure out like what the Bible is actually saying. So I, I, I encourage Bible reading, but there also, there, there also should be Bible study. So whenever like Pastor Tang is having a Bible study, make sure you go for it. Um, because just the thing, if you don't, if you have a bad understanding of what scripture, if you don't know what scripture is saying, quote, no pun intended, you'll be a slave to whatever sounds right. Like, like if, if if you don't know what the Bible is teaching or what God what God God what is saying, you'll be a slave to whatever sounds right. Oh, this thing sounds right. This tickles my ear. This pastor said this. This tickles my ear. This is a sort of a bigger bigger discussion. This sounds very nice. It makes me feel good. Um, yeah, but are you I are you um are you, uh, are you uh, following righteousness or are you following something else? You know, because when, when when God sees people, He sees only covenant people and non-covenant people. That's all He sees. Say that one more time. What's that? Say that one more time. God's eyes, God, through the lens of God, there's only covenant people and non-covenant people. Are we following God's constitution or not? That's it. It's not. It's not. It's not that complicated. He only sees His covenant people and non-covenant people. It is no other. There's no yes. other. 
on it. I'm not saying race is not important or ethnicity is not important. I'm not saying God is colorblind. That's not what I'm saying. No, no, I, 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 I know. No, I just, I just want to add it in case for the viewers. I know you know. I just want to add it in case for the viewers. Hey, you see how bad that is? Glenn is like, listen, I know the people that comment on your stuff. Just in case they... <laughs> he like, I see what the people say to you, thanks. <laughs> just in case. Just in case. So, yeah, you just in case on. your people may be like, see that guy you was talking to? He got it. See? It's only God's covenant people and non-covenant people. And, and, and in Revelation says, and those covenant people of every tribe, tongue. Ah, exactly. And, and, exactly. You know, he still exactly. sees their ethnicity. He still sees... Uh, their their diversity. Amen. 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 Soon to be Reverend. <laughs> hey, son. Um, yeah. well, I don't have any any questions coming in. Um, yeah, we can close. Oh, nothing else. We, uh, I'll close in prayer and then call it a day. Yeah. So really. So this. So again, this is a really good resource for you. Uh, is God a moral monster making sense of the Old Testament God by Paul Copen? Hold on, I'm gonna show y'all two other ones. That are, yeah, yeah. Ones. Hold on, let me show them two more, and then we can and then we can pray out. I'm about to yeah. I'm about to break myself. I, I think there's another book by Paul Copen. Is does God command genocide? That's another one. Yeah, that's the one I'm actually pulling up right now. Oh yeah, see, I, I can read this mine. <laughs> so these three books right here. So this is the one you were just talking about. This is by Paul Copen and Matthew Flanagan. Did God really command genocide? This is a really good book when you're dealing with, when people think that God said to kill all the babies and everything. That's going to help you understand. Here's another good one by Christopher Wright. Oh, yeah. The God I Don't Understand is an amazing book. And then the last one by Eric Siebert is Disturbing Divine Behavior. Oh, yeah. I have to, uh... Yeah. This is another good book. These are, listen. I lost, I lost my headset. Hold on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I didn't want no feedback. These books all deal with some of the troubling Old Testament passages that we struggle with. That when you start digging into the Old Testament, you'll be like, what? What? What what happened to John three sixteen? <laughs> people people get flabbergasted, and these books help you kind of wrestle through some of those Old Testament passages. Um, so put the screen back, and you can see what those are. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, yep. brother Will. Well, well yeah. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, hopefully, uh, if you guys have another like topic suggestion, maybe thank and I again. I want something, but just uh, thanks for staying in. Uh, let's close with prayer. Um, dear God, we thank you for this time uh, for diving into your word. You know, uh, you know, your your word is for freedom, for liberty, for justice, um, for us to love our brothers like ourselves. We pray as you know, uh, as we go through these challenging times right now uh, in America and all over the world, that you will fill people with your spirit, uh, quicken their spirits, give them the encouragement to take action, uh, to help people that they see who are suffering, who are oppressed. We pray that you. Uh, this is not a. This is not a race. This is a marathon. Uh, keep us uh, encouraged and help us to um, anchor ourselves in your word and um, not follow false ideologies that are floating around out there right now. We think we always keep our eyes on Jesus. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, man, we appreciate you guys for tuning in with us. Um, and listen, man, thank you guys.
appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. 